0: Some PowerPoint, a bunch of things for you tonight, so I want to preface tonight, as I have done in the past, but I want to really be very specific tonight. All of the things that we'll look at and everything that we'll see, all that we will read, falls under the gracious hand of a loving God who's tender and merciful while he's just, And we need to never lose sight of that because we know that there is actually a loving purpose for the justice of God and for the judgment of God. And so even though some of the things that are yet to come on the world stage and most of what we'll look at tonight, one could categorize as in the negative category. Because they are things that have happened that draw us closer to the last days that mankind will spend on this earth. They are several things to us who are believers. They're very encouraging. And they should be encouraging. Uh, You should not be discouraged by the things that are going on in the world. You should be encouraged to be busy about your father's business. Amen? Notice what it says here here in Luke 21, verse 28. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up. It it, it means to stand upright, adjust your view, do what you have to do to be able to see correctly, be upright in your thinking, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. It's near the time when Jesus might peek his head through the clouds and say, Come on home. Amen? So we should be encouraged. We should also be stirred to action. Because if we really believe what Scripture says, then we should be doing something with it. And the fact that this place is pretty full tonight is an indicator of of our desire to, I believe, hear and to then be doers of the Word. Amen? People are going to perish, folks, if they don't receive Christ. They're going to die, and they're going to go to hell. And so our task, our goal, is to make sure that very few people do that. We, we want people to be saved, just as it is the heart and the desire of the Lord. And so, not here to shock you, not here to startle you, not here to uh, cause anyone any undue Uh, stress and strain if you're planning on getting married get married if you're in the process of buying a new home buy a new home but use it for jesus amen it it shouldn't cause us to oh well you know pastor jeff said that the end is near now i actually had somebody say that to me a couple years ago man after you got done i thought that the rapture of the church was going to happen and we were all just you know not going to make it another week well we might not you know, who knows? I mean, the fiscal cliff was averted for another two weeks, I suppose. I don't, You know, I, I really don't know how long it'll last. I, I know that they didn't fix anything. So I know the same problems that occurred yesterday are still occurring today. And that ultimately the same God that woke you up from your slumber this morning is going to wake you up tomorrow or take you home. I know that the God who created this earth loves people so desperately that he sent his only begotten son into the world, that the world through him would be saved. I know that. And so that tells me a lot about what God thinks and what he wants. And so even though we look at these things, I want to remind you that there is no one specific thing that is needing to happen for the rapture of the church to occur. There's nothing left. It could happen tonight. We, we could go home to be with Jesus tonight. There are a bunch of things that could conceivably happen prior to that rapture of the church that might start, and we're going to look at some of those things. We may be around for that period of time when the world is uh, coming a bit unglued, to be sure. But there's nothing prophetically that has to happen for the church to be raptured. So as we see these things lining up with the rest of what Scripture says will happen after we're gone, how close do you think we actually are? So many of the things that we'll look at uh, tonight really are an aligning, if you will, of the very last things that will occur, some of them directly before the rapture of the church, likely, some of them during the tribulation, which we will not be here to see. Uh, Some of them are those tertiary things that are just kind of the cleanup issues, if you will, that uh, are bound to happen as the Antichrist rises, as the world is prepared for a one-world government, uh, for a one-world monetary system, and for a one-world religion. And so the things that we'll see that have happened in 2012 and the things that we look forward to possibly happening in 2013 should cause us, as 2 Peter 3.11 says, Since therefore all these things will be dissolved, speaking of the world itself and everything on it, all of God's plans will be accomplished and fulfilled. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. What should we be doing? What should it be like? How should we be living our lives? That's really the question. Because, see, if you're here tonight, and in looking around the room, I'm not aware of a single person in this room who doesn't know the Lord Jesus. I am not aware of that. Maybe there is somebody here, but I don't think so. I think most of you know the Lord. How should we be living? That's the big question, isn't it? What should we be doing with what time we have left is really the question. How how engaged should we be in our culture? What should we be doing for the kingdom? Uh, I will give you a bit of good news. I am officially in my office here at the church, so I know what I'm going to be doing. Um, I had my last day at the camp today, so a little emotional, as you might imagine, but Uh, I'm looking forward to what the Lord's going to do through the church. And I'm looking forward to us uh, reaching out and doing new and great and more awesome things than we've already been doing. What manner of persons ought you, ought we, ought the church to be in holy conduct and godliness? Godliness, an easy way to remember what godliness means is it is a reflection of God. It simply means to reflect the image of God. It is, in essence, the word that describes godly character in one word. Godliness. In other words, if you looked at a person, the more godly they are, the more godliness they have, the more they emulate, the more they speak like, the more they actually mirror the image of the true and the living God. So when we talk about godliness, how should we be living in these last days? It should stir us up. It should get us excited. It should make us remember that that we may not have a whole lot of time left. And so for those who don't know the Lord, it should make us anxious to to share the gospel and to be light to them and to be godly, to live godly. I, I doubt there's a person in this room that in the last several weeks hasn't seen some ungodliness. Amen? Anybody in here that hasn't seen ungodliness, raise your hand. Good, I thought so. So you're the counter to that. You're, you're, the, you're the reverse image of that coin that is humanity. You're the godly side. And people need to see that. And so tonight, as we spend some time in God's Word, I'm going to set the stage, and then we'll take a look at a few things that have happened, about 28 or 9 of them, something like that. We get through the whole thing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as hard as it is to fathom, before the beginning of time, you knew that all of us, each one of us, would be sitting in this room tonight. And to think that you, the God of heaven, has mapped out and planned our lives in the most minute of details, including the things that we will hear and talk about and see tonight. You have a purpose in that, God, that you would join us together as the church and causes to be edified and built up and strengthened, uh, is amazing. And so we pray, as we study your word, that you would be in the midst of all that's said and done. We pray for those areas of the world that, that tonight are, are on the verge of disastrous things. Not because we want them to, not because we cry out for bloodshed. Well, we don't. We, we cry out for safety and peace, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But we know what your word says, and the world is coming unglued. It's having a tough time, and we believe those are the birth pangs. And so tonight, God, speak to us. Instruct us through your word, we pray. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We live in curious times, amen? When you you look at the world, it's so weird because every time I do this, I start collecting stuff, and I've shared this with you before. This year, I ended up saving about 240 pages or so of notes throughout the year. I just have a folder. It's called Prophetic Events for 2012, and I just dump them in there. So as I'm reading articles, I'll take and cut and paste part of it and throw it in that folder, and I'll leave it for later. You know what the crazy, weirdest thing is? For about the last four or five years, every year in October and November and December, I might as well have saved nothing for the whole year because everything happens in December that just overshadows what's already happened. So a vast majority of the things that I will share with you tonight have happened in the last 60 days. So they're not from January for the most part of 2012. Many of them, almost half actually, are from December. And so as we look at what's going on in the world, Scripture says that Jesus, as he gave all of that discourse, and he spoke about the last days, and and the disciples asked him, what will be the signs of your coming? One of the examples he used was birth pains. As I've shared with you before, you ladies know this. Once the birth pains start, they start out kind of slow. And in fact, you end up making lots of trips to the hospital, right? You go to the hospital nah, they're still 15 minutes apart, you've got another week, go home, get some rest, have a nice day. Your doctor tells you that. And then a couple weeks later, you, you get the, get back to the hospital and they go, well, the pains are about three minutes apart. Go home, and if they get any closer, go ahead and come back. And then, and then by the time you actually get back to the hospital, they're a minute and a half, two minutes apart, and you're going, oh, I'm, God, I want to have a baby like right now. And then they get to where they're about thirty seconds apart, and it's like, okay, it's on. Okay, when all of these things started, the birth pangs were years apart. The birth pangs are starting to get so close together that you can tell that the baby, so to speak, prophetically is about to be born. That we're getting closer and closer to that time. And the reason we know that is we've been given so many signs as to what the last days would look at. And they're in a passage I've shared with you before, and we won't go through the whole thing tonight, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, there are 20 things that Paul gives there as a sign of the last days. He actually says, so this know also, that." In the last days, that passage says, and then he gives 20 different things that happens. First one is perilous times will come. So when Jesus is talking in Matthew 24 about birth pains, and he's talking about how fast they're going to come upon, like a woman in labor, all of a sudden it's like, okay, rapture's here. That's what's happening, and so when you take that list and you look at it, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, all these things, having a form of godliness, isn't it weird that the whole world seems to have a form of godliness? There's almost uh, a nearly universal, well, we want to have God in some way. It's exactly what 1 Timothy says. We want God, in, or 2 Timothy says, in, in some way, we want to all kind of have God, but we want Him to be in the place that we want Him to be. And he goes on to say, but denying the power thereof. In other words, God's just kind of somebody. We want to make sure that You know, we'll even say God bless you as we deliver our speeches. We'll acknowledge an existence of a God of some kind. We'll have some form of godliness but not the kind that produces any kind of power. It doesn't free people from sin. doesn't relieve them from the bondage of lives that are lived apart from God. It does not change their behavior. And in fact, they go exactly the opposite way. I would say to you, you can look at it later. Look at that passage and ask yourself if that's not what's going on in our world today. I believe it is. And again, it's not to scare anybody. It's not to put an undue emphasis on it. It's to say when you look at the world, it is, as your Bible says, it will be in the very last days. Period. You can't avoid it. We're being plunged into a period of time that uh, your Bible speaks more about than any other subject. Do you know that? Your Bible speaks more about the last days than it does about salvation. Your Bible speaks more about the last days than it does about grace. Grace. Your Bible speaks more about the last days than it does about love. Your Bible speaks more about the last days than it does about God's justice or His judgment. Your Bible speaks more about the last days than any other subject. And I believe there is a singular reason that is preeminent that we should look at. It is the sign of the times. And that means that the age of grace is drawing to a close. So the generation that's alive that sees that these things are happening, I believe, has a greater obligation to the world that they are living in at the time to be a voice for the grace of God and for the plan of salvation that is Jesus Christ alone, crucified, died on Calvary's cross, buried in the grave, raised three days later for salvation, that message, because that alone saves. The only way that people are going to escape what's going to be coming as if they know the Lord. They're not going to escape because they were kind or found a cure for AIDS. They're not going to escape because they simply did good deeds. They're not going to escape because their lives were better than other people's lives. People will only escape the very worst of what will come if they are found in Christ Jesus as Lord. That's it. And so for us, we should be thinking about those things. That's why Paul, and we're going to actually look at the rapture on Sunday. It happens we've gotten to that passage, so it's kind of a nice tie-in, what we're doing tonight with Sunday. But when Paul begins to speak of that, about that in 1 Thessalonians 4, he actually begins in verse 13 by reminding us, hey, hey, guys, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want this to take you by surprise i don't want you to wake up one morning and go Wow we're awful close to being raptured we're we're near the very end. These things have been told us so that we can in fact uh, be prepared for those last days. We don't want to sorrow as other people sorrow for the coming of the Lord has to happen it it's going to happen, and so, as we look at some of these things tonight, I want to focus in a little bit on one specific event. Uh, that is yet to, to unfold, and you can find it if you want to turn to Ezekiel chapter 38. It's a study that we actually looked at almost five years ago. Um, but I want to I want to just focus in a little bit because all of you know that in the last year, probably the number one thing in global politics has been what to do with the Iranian nuclear problem. Amen. Everybody pretty much agree with that? I would think you would. There has been nothing that's garnered more headlines. There's nothing more potentially dangerous. There is nothing that's, that's been unfolding uh, on a regular basis. I mean, it's literally daily that Iran is in the news. Now, think about this. This is a country that if you compared it to the rest of the countries in the world I think it ranks something like 32nd or 33rd uh, on, in, in size and population uh, in the world. It's not exactly a, a major global player either. But yet the whole world is looking at it. The Arab world is looking at Iran. The Israelis are certainly looking at Iran. Syria is being funded by Iran. Egypt is being militarized by Iran and the United States. There's this incredible focus on a singular nation that seems to be the catalyst for what we've come to know as the, uh, as the Arab Spring Rebellion. In other words, here all these Arab nations, oh, they're finally getting some freedom. Have you looked at what's actually happened with that regard? Every single nation that has experienced this so-called Arab Spring is now in some form of chaos. They, they have com- They're coming unglued at the seams. Uh, You now have a president in in Egypt, Mohamed Morsi, uh, who is educated here in the United States, by the way, Uh, has multiple degrees from the University of Southern California. He's an engineer by trade. Uh, He taught here in in our university systems in the United States. But he is a staunch member of the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood believes in the 12th Imam Mahdi. The 12th Imam Mahdi, uh, it is believed, and in a sense of eschatology, the things of the last days, as far as the Muslims are concerned, the 12th Imam Mahdi, which is the equivalent, as far as we're concerned, to the Antichrist, cannot come until there's global chaos. They actually believe in global chaos because it will usher in the, the end and the final imam. And in order to bring that about, their whole goal is to seek that the world would be ruled by an Islamic caliphate. And an Islamic caliphate is this, that in essence you do have exactly what our constitution prohibits, which is a theocracy. Our constitution prohibits a theocracy. There, there is a separation between ser- church and state, but not so that church can't exist and do what church is supposed to do, but so that it cannot be taken over by the government. And that is exactly what the Muslim Brotherhood wants. They want all Muslim nations taken over by the church so that, in essence, the caliphate, the caliphs, can rule under Sharia law all over the Muslim world. And when you realize what that means to the world as we know it today, that's about one-third of the world's population that currently has a Muslim majority in that country. Almost all of Africa now is in that category. Uh, Indonesia is in that category. When you look at, of course, all of, all of the normal states that we would look at and we're going to look at here in Ezekiel 38 are in that category. And so when we start looking at the world and we see that these things are coming to pass, we can look at our Bibles and go, well, what does the Bible have to say about those nations and about those peoples? What will happen in the very last days? And so Ezekiel 38, the first eight verses, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And remember that in 37... You have the prophecy of the Valley of Dry Bones. That is the re- restructuring and the reintroduction of Israel as a nation in its own land. That has occurred. They've been there since March 14th in 1945. So they're they're in the land. They're speaking a single language. It goes on to tell us that the issue is the land, that Israel was out of the land, that God had dispersed them. They're now back there. And so that part of Ezekiel 37 is fulfilled. It's done. It's over with. Israel's back in the land. It says they will not ever cease to be in the land from that time. They're there. Your Bible says they'll never be kicked out again. That's what your Bible says. That's not what Jeff says. goes on now. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And so when you begin to look at these nations and their equivalents, and for sake of time, we're not going to go into all of those things. But let me just safely say that those are principally areas that are now found to be within Russia. These are Russian cities. They're Russian areas of influence. They were then. They are now. And so it says, Gog, the land of Magog, prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal, prophesy against him, that being Gog, and say, Thus says the Lord God, For behold, I am against you, O Gog. And so God says about this confederation that is principally Russian in its origin that God is against them. And then it goes on to say, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, so we don't miss it. We don't ever miss who he's talking about here. I will turn you around. I'll put hooks in your jaws. I will lead you out with all your army. In other words, God is actually going to stimulate this particular group of people, and he is going to cause them at some point in time to come against the nation Israel with all your army, your horses, your horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. And so he begins to say that this massive army will be funded, it will be armored by, it will be trained by, in essence, Russia. So Russia will be a main player in a final event that has yet to occur uh, in the very last days. Notice who joins in next. Number five, verse five, Persia. Ethiopia, and Libya, all of those countries are Muslim nations. Okay, It will go on to describe a number of other places, and we'll look at those in just a moment. But notice who's first, Persia. It was not until 1935 when Persia changed its name to Iran with the help of none other than Adolf Hitler, Iran in Farsi-Persian means Aryan land. That's what it means. And so it has been, in essence, all of this time uh, under the influence, under the sway of some really not good folks, I believe demonically influenced, And so Persia, which is modern day Iran, Ethiopia, which would include at that time all of what is now Sudan, which is also Muslim, Ethiopia, which is Muslim, Uganda, which is largely Muslim, though part of it is Christian. And of course, South Sudan is partially Christian. But this is a giant confederation of Muslim nations that are gathered around Israel and Libya. And we know what Libya is like. We just lost our ambassador and. For CIA operatives in an attack on the consulate in Benghazi. For they are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Interesting that as these things are described, you have to remember when this was written. Okay, this was two thousand and about six hundred years ago. And of course, as God is speaking into the life of Ezekiel the prophet, um, if he'd said, and tanks and helicopters, and, um, you know, M-16s and M-4s and uh, cruise missiles and B-2 stealth bombers. If he just said stuff like that, there would have been no way for anybody to understand it at the time. And so God uses general terms talking about warfare, but he says that they will all have them with shield and helmet. In other words, they will be prepared for war uh, in that time that they rise up. So Gomer, all of its troops, and now we're including some of the European Union, the House of Tagarma to the far north and its troops, and many people are with you. And so it says that this confederation of nations that is principally organized, outfitted, armed, prepared, trained, and technologically purposed by Russia that will include a massive amount of Arab nations – those guys someday God's going to say it's time so Israel needs to look out and so he goes on because Ezekiel is prophesying to Israel amen he's speaking to the Jewish people so the moment he begins in verse 7 to prepare yourself and be ready he's speaking specifically to Israel and so he says prepare yourself be ready you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be on guard for them. Why do you think that Israel spends so much time watching its northern border with Lebanon and Syria? Because at some point in time, from the north, a confederation of nations, notice Persia is in the lead here, Persia is the one who is outfitting Lebanon and Hezbollah, Persia is the one that's outfitting Syria, and the Syrian Brotherhood, which is akin to the Muslim Brotherhood, there's a whole nother group inside of Syria. They're, of course, their president, and Bashar Assad, is a complete whack job, and I will get to that in just a little bit. But you, you have these nations who will come from the north. Israel's toughest border to defend is its northern border. It's rather easy to defend its eastern border, its western border, and its southern border because they're largely open. But there are heights that are in the south of Lebanon and in Syria that allow the enemy to have the upper hand from a strategic standpoint. And so it says that from the north, these nations will invade and they will have a connection with Islam. And that connection will include this three Group. And there's three groups of nations that are uh, included here that are, that are, in essence, put together by Persia. And it says, Be on guard for them, for after many days you will be visited. In other words, after a long time. And in the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword. That has already happened. That is, in essence, a reference to the previous chapter in Ezekiel 37 and this reconstructed Israel, which is now in the land. In other words, there will come a period of time when you will need to be on guard on your northern border and for those nations which are aligned with Persia and Ethiopia and Libya, Sudan, all of those nations that are Islamic in Africa, northern Africa. And, of course, it goes on later in the chapter to actually list Egypt and several other Muslim countries as well, which we'll not get to tonight. But in the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. Israel has been repopulated. It continues to be repopulated. One of the reasons that you have seen in this last year, uh, the fight over these multiple subdivisions of new homes that are being built in the Golan Heights, and outside of Jerusalem, is there's no room for Jews to live in Israel. They need to build more houses, and it's not because of the birth rate. The birth rate in Israel is actually very, very low amongst the Jewish people. It's actually slightly lower than the U.S. It is not even a replacement uh, birth rate. But what is happening is Jews from all over the world are returning to the land. They continue to return to the land. And in fact, they take more people in from outside of Israel who are actually full Jews from outside of Israel than they do from within their own borders by birth. And so there has been this influx and infilling, if you will, of the nation Israel that occurs at this very hour, which had been long desolate. And if you look, that's why it's so ludicrous when, when you hear the term Palestinian people and country of Palestine. There has actually not ever been a Palestinian people and a country of Palestine. There has been a region called Palestine, but that region has largely for all of the time that the Jews were not there, so desolate that nobody lived there. And it was not until the Jewish people came back and began to, as scripture goes on to say in in Ezekiel, replanting the vineyards that were broken down and making the desert bloom, which is exactly what the Jewish people have done. It wasn't until the Jews did that that any Arabs cared to live there. And so the Arabs that are there now largely are there because of what the Jewish people have done with a very barren, extremely desolate chunk of land that nobody wanted and nobody but a bunch of Bedouin sheepherders lived in until Israel began to build it up as a nation. Then all of a sudden they looked at it. Hey, green hills, new forests. Look at the fruit trees. Israel provides about 30% of all of the citrus fruit for all of Europe. It's a little tiny country. It's minuscule on the, on the map. So Israel's done these things, and it says here, which had long been desolate, and they are brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. Is it safe in Egypt? No. Is it safe in Syria? No. Is it safe in Jordan? Not really. Is it safe in Saudi Arabia? If you're a woman, not on your life. How safe is it in Israel? It's actually very safe. Even though it's a dangerous place to be because of the nutcases that surround them, it is absolutely a wonderful place to be if you're a Jew. And so, what we're going to look at tonight is kind of the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, because there is going to be a surprise attack on Israel. It will happen. And I want to share something, my own personal belief with this particular battle. There are many people that believe that this battle, well-intentioned scholars of God's word, that believe this is synonymous with the battle of Armageddon. I do not believe so. And I do not believe so for several reasons. But let me give you the major one. I believe that this is way too much going on for a single battle that just includes the battle of Armageddon. And so I believe that what's going to happen is there will be a campaign that will involve these nations and it will last for a long period of time. And it may well be the very thing that rises up in the very last days that the Antichrist actually puts a kibosh to for a period of time. Because remember that the Antichrist will rise and he will spend three and a half years being an agent of peace and he will bring into the conflict in the region and then his true colors will be shown. So I believe personally that there is no theologic reason that this particular battle and Russia attacking Israel from the north cannot happen while the church is still here. The good news is you won't get to the really bad stuff before the church is gone. But it could start. It could actually unfold to some degree while we are still here. And so... Keep your eyes focused on that region of the world. I have some thoughts uh, on this, and, and I believe that it's going to be a quite a long period of time. And so the Battle of Armageddon there in Revelation 16 to 19 and also described in Zechariah 14 uh, clearly seems to, to lend itself to a long, protracted battle that will occur over a great period of time. Uh, Zechariah says this in chapter 12, for this is the word of the Lord in verses 1 and 2 concerning Israel. The Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth, and who forms the spirit of man within him declares, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends the surrounding nations reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. So this is speaking of, in essence, what we know is the entire nation of Israel today. They will be besieged. Since they've been back in the land, that has only occurred in a very minor sense and not at the direct leading of Russia. And so we know it hasn't happened yet, but we know that those armies that surround Israel right now are all being funded, armed, and trained by Russian soldiers. And so when you look at the Middle East, you have to understand when when you hear in the news that Iran... Uh, has a proxy in Syria or as a proxy in Lebanon? What you have to also understand that Iran's military technology and their might is chiefly Russian. Their ballistic missile submarines are Russian designed. Their anti-aircraft radar missile systems all Russian designed. Their nuclear reactors not only Russian designed but Russian fueled. They actually have been getting their fuel from Russia. And so Russia is heavily involved in the arming of all of these nations that Ezekiel 38 says one day will rise up against Israel and be led in mass at a single time. I would also give you cause to remember that when Israel declared its independence, the very next day they were attacked on every single border that they have other than the Mediterranean Sea. And so that's going to happen again, because at that time they were Russian tanks and Russian MiGs and all those things, and Israel wiped them out. But it's going to happen again. This time Israel is going to suffer quite a bit at the hands. I want you to pick up a couple more things. It goes on to say in verses 3 through 9, several in that day statements. And when you see those, and this is all from Ezekiel chapter, or from Zechariah chapter 12 rather, when you see that phrase in that day, it's speaking of the very last days. It's speaking, it can be speaking of the tribulation. It can also be speaking of the time directly before the tribulation, but it is in the very last gasp of mankind's time here on earth. And so it says, I'm just going to take a few of these. This is Zechariah 12, verses 3 through 9. For in that day all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, the UN spends over thirty percent of its time talking about nothing other than a little tiny nation known as Israel. All of the nations will be gathered against her. I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. Is it is not Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations? All of the nations of the earth are currently trying to get Jerusalem to give up Jerusalem or get Israel to give up Jerusalem as its capital. it's like uh-uh, isn't gonna happen. Not gonna do it. All who try to move it will injure themselves. Every nation that's come against Israel since they've been back in the land that's attempted to attack them has, guess what? Lost. L-O-S-T. Decisively lost. And in fact, in the 67 war, Moshe Dayan actually gave back the Temple Mount to the Arabs which still don't know why he did that but he did and consequently it has left an arab population in the center of Jerusalem that has caused Israel if you will to deal with its arab neighbors at least in a state uh, of, of semi nicety because if they hadn't they could have just simply forced the issue so i believe that it's actually god's divine plan uh, that the that the arabs actually occupy part of the center of Jerusalem goes on to say, for in that day I will strike every horse with panic, every rider with madness. Of course, at the time they rode horses. Uh, There will not be any horses in this battle, but I can imagine the Humvees, the tanks, and everything else will be stricken with panic. I will keep a watchful eye over the house of Judah, and I will blind the horses of the nations. Isn't that weird how all of the stuff that's arrayed against Israel, nobody's ever successful? Your Bible says that very clearly, that once they're back in the land, once they are there as a people, that no one will ever rise up and completely displace them. They'll attack them, they will do all kinds of things to them, but they are going to be successful because God's keeping an eye out for them. he goes on to say, In that day I'll make the leaders of Judah like a fire pot in the woodpile, like a flaming torch among the sheaves, and they will consume right and left the surrounding peoples. Do you realize that Israel is capable of taking the entire Middle East themselves? They are capable. They're the only nuclear-armed nation that has technology to go along with those nuclear weapons. If they decided that they wanted to take over the entire Middle East, they could do so right now, tonight. They're already prepared to do that. Notice it's a fire pot. I believe it's a direct reference to the fact that Israel one day would have nuclear weapons. They'll have the capacity to do that. But Jerusalem will remain intact in her place. Why? Because God is for them. That's why when I, I when people get mad at me for, you know, being so pro Israel. If you're a Christian, you don't have any choice but to be pro Israel. If you're not for God's people, Israel, then you are not for God. That's what His Word says. You're against Him. That's not a good thing. When you read these verses, put yourself in the category of the people that God is against. Not a good thing. In that day, Jerusalem will remain intact in her place. So in other words, Jerusalem is going to be a bone of contention. They're going to be attacked, but they're going to survive. The Lord will save the dwellings of Judah first, and so honor the house of David and of Jerusalem's inhabitants, and they may not be greater than Judah. In other words, he's got his hand on Israel. In that day, it goes on to say, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them will be like David. Isn't that weird? Think about it. Think about your world and think about what's going on in Israel right now and try and figure out how in the world it could possibly be that you have nations surrounding them, who are very well equipped by the Russians, by the way, through the Iranians, that they're they're still completely unable to mount any type of offense against the Israeli people. There's less than 8 million of them total in the entire country. To give you an idea, China has about 230 million men in its army today. Russia has someplace around 100 million men in its army today. They're so grossly outnumbered that if any of those nations were to really think about it in a practical sense, they could just go take it. But they can't. Why? Because God is for them. Be like David, and the house of David will be like God the angel of the Lord will go out before them. He's done that before, by the way. Read Isaiah chapter 38. And in one night, the Lord sent an angel into the camp of the Assyrians and slayed 185,000 of them in one night. There's still no explanation for why the Israelis have won every major conflict that they've ever been faced with since they went into the land. Other than, by God. And in that day I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. Remember that one. Because you may get to see somebody try. And if we do, I can guarantee you this. We are that close to going home to be with Jesus. Amen? You see, the only things that are left to happen after that really are the rise of the Antichrist. And as we've looked in Daniel, and we will see when we get to chapter 11... Uh, this, This incredible break where this king of the south will engage in battle and the king of the north will storm out against Israel in chariots. We're going to get to that in the book of Daniel. So that's also coming. But you're going to see that God's going to prevail every single time. And so as you watch these things unfold on the world scene, you know whose side to be on. And it's staggering to me that people don't get that. So I've shared with you the whole book of Joel. Joel is basically saying, thus says the Lord that one day God's going to have his way with the rest of the world for what they've done to Israel. And so when we look at the world, and we look at specifically what the Arab nations are doing, and, and we realize what the Lord has in store for the world in the very last days, we have to say to ourselves, how close are we? Where are we at on that great timeline? Where are we on that scale of things? And so the Lord... Uh, begins to, to lay these things out for us by way of our local news. Uh, just 45 days ago, okay, we are attacked in the Libyan embassy. Our ambassador is killed, and the nation that's most overjoyed about it is Egypt. It now has a Muslim brotherhood, uh, Mohammed Morsi is their pr- president, And our government decides that we are going to deliver 20 brand spanking new F-16 fighter aircraft to Egypt, the sworn enemy of Israel. Now, they have a peace treaty that's currently in place, but that peace treaty is, is nothing but a piece of paper. And if you look at the border, and if you remember the Gaza incursion that just happened about a month ago, you remember all the fighting that was going on, and Israel is bombing uh, the Gaza Strip, and every, the whole world is up in arms. If you look at the border of Gaza and Egypt, it is honeycombed with over 300 smuggling tunnels. And those tunnels are not little holes in the ground where a couple of dudes and two sheep can go through. Some of them have... Miners' cars in them and tracks, and over 50% of the goods that actually get into Gaza go through those tunnels. And and so this is the country that is on the other side of the tunnels. In other words, Egypt knows full well what's being smuggled into Gaza. During that campaign, the Hezbollah, Muslim Brotherhood, and Hamas launched over 4,500 rockets. Towards Israel, four and a half thousand. Think about what the United States would do. And again, don't want to be sounding racist here. So this is not a racial thing. I'm just using it as an example of our border. We have a southern border with Mexico. How many rockets do you think Mexico gets to fire at the United States before we send some of these very F-16s and blow the living tar out of wherever they came from? Uh, it'd probably be two, maybe three. Uh, The first one that lands in the suburb of San Diego, the United States of America, is going to take decisive military action. It's an act of war. And yet Israel is flatly condemned by the whole world for retaliating on these poor little guys from Hamas who just have to be launching rockets at Jerusalem, at Tel Aviv, at Ashkelon. Now they're armed with brand spanking new F-16s. And of course, we have a deal to keep the replacement parts out of their hands if they go naughty, but the bottom line is, why would we do that? It's because the whole world's going to come against Israel. There's a part of the prophecy of Jeremiah that has yet to happen, and it says, Damas- Damascus is waxed feeble, turns herself to flee, fear is seized upon her, anguish, sorrows have been taken as a woman in travail. There is a time when Damascus is going to become a ruinous heap. And that is the center of the conflict right now that Bashar Assad is trying to, to keep from happening. He's trying to spare Damascus. And yet the Syrian rebels are attacking basically wherever they can. And so Syria is now in a, in a state of de facto real war, not just civil war. So Syria uses the Scud missiles that they got from Iran, which they got from Iraq as they fought a border war with them for years. And they have, in fact, not widely known. Uh, it says there in Isaiah 17, the burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus shall be taken away from being a city and shall be a ruinous heap. Damascus is the world's longest continuously habited city. It has had people in it for 3,500 years continually. It has never been a ruinous heap. And so right now, it's starting to look like that could happen as well. You you have the president of that country firing rockets at his own people with chemical warheads, and and there's plenty. Uh, I will not leave this slide up very long. Our own president is saying, you know, we have just issued a new army manual that we not only have to be tolerant of the Taliban, but we're not allowed to openly criticize them. This is a group of people who think nothing about shooting a woman who's accused of adultery in the middle of a ball field. That is a soccer field. They took a filled soccer field and took a woman in the middle of it in her burqa and shot her, and we're supposed to oh well you know they're not they don't really mean that yes they do your Bible says that in Genesis 16 Ishmael which is the father of all the Arab peoples he'll be a wild man his hand will be against every man his hand is against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. That's because that's what God said would become of the Arab peoples who spun off from Ishmael. Not only would they be against the, the Jews, the Israelis, but they don't get along with anybody, and that is exactly what you see in the world. And that's not anti-Islam. That's not anti-Muslim. That's saying God said so. Look at the world. That's what you see. It's getting more so. Uh, just this last week, this was from two weeks ago, uh Iran if you remember there's North Korea has been attempting to launch long range ballistic ballistic missiles uh with enough ability to reach the United States for quite some time and just as i told you there in second timothy one of the things the very first thing that perilous times would come uh the greek word that there is perilous Uh, It also translated fierce. Uh, It's actually the nature of the demonic forces that Satan rules over. In other words, they would act demonically. It makes no sense for a nation like North Korea to have atomic weapons and missile delivery systems when there is nothing in North Korea worth protecting. They, they, They have no ability to provide for themselves, much less the rest of the world. So the only thing that could happen is they would benefit from an invasion like South Korea did, by the way, which is now one of the most Christian nations on earth. I don't know if you knew that or not, but over 68 percent of the nation of Korea is actually Christian. When you look at what happens in that area of the world, um, it makes no sense. And here's the president of Iran going, oh, well, you know, they should be able to defend themselves. Defend themselves from what? The United States isn't going to go, well, you know, we don't have enough poverty in the United States, so we need to go attack North Korea and import poverty. We don't We don't need to, you know, we don't have enough aluminum chairs, and they're big on aluminum chairs in North Korea, you know, so we need to go invade them. They're not, they're, are, they're, they're not in any way, shape, or form going to be invaded by anybody. They do not need bl- ballistic missile technology. Just... Monday of this week, and this is from the AP and the IRA, which is the Iranian National News Organization. Um, Iran has been threatening to do this particular exercise for about the last year. They actually carried it out on Monday of this week. Um, they they fired about forty-eight rockets. They're of all kinds of different configurations. They are cruise missiles, they are ballistic missiles, they are submarine launch ballistic missiles, they are anti-aircraft missiles. They're anti-ship missiles. They're all built in essence on the Chinese Silkworm platform. They now have the technology to take out anything that comes into the Persian Gulf, and they can do it at about 30 miles from their coastline, so well into international waters. And so as they fire all these missiles, they're basically saying if you wanna make an issue out of it, you wanna bring warships off of our coast, then we have the means to defend ourselves. Again, we don't have any inclination to go uh, into Iran except for one reason, and you all know it, and that's because they are in the process of centrifuging fissile material for the construction of atomic weapons, and the whole world knows it, and the whole world is standing by going, well, you know, that's those Israelis... Man, if they would just give up Jerusalem, those Israelis, if they would just give up more land, our own president said that Benjamin Netanyahu made a mistake in not giving up more land to the Palestinian people and to the Jordanians in the West Bank. Our own president said that. And so we're giving F-16s to Egypt. We're standing by and watching Iran now work off of Soviet platforms. These are Russian-made, by the way. It's an advanced Russian uh, design. They have now captured three of our drones. They have cloned those drones. They've already done it. They've already flown them. They already know what to do with them. Um, they're technologically very advanced. And so this this consortium of nations that's going to rise up against Israel is extremely well defended and it's extremely well armed. And so when we look at the world. The, the kings of the east. Your Bible says in Revelation 16, the sixth angel poured out its vial upon the great river Euphrates. The water was dried up, and the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Why? Because the kings of the east are going to be involved in it in the final stages as we do approach the battle of Armageddon. Uh, and so now you have North Korea launching, a, they said, a satellite, interestingly enough, Um, We have pretty good technology to track these things. We watched it fall into the ocean. We know exactly where it went. We actually have a research vessel in the area trying to pluck that puppy off the bottom of the ocean floor to find out exactly what they did. So the, the world is a perilous place. And people who should not have these things, not only have these things, but they're for sale to the entire world. Iran now has this exact missile technology. So this platform that you're looking at right here is the platform for the Shahab 3 and the Shahab 4. Both of those missiles have the capability of reaching Israel. And so Israel's existence, in essence, has never been more threatened than it is today. We just had, you know, everybody saw the article maybe a year or so ago that, oh, China finally got a, you know, an old Ukrainian, uh, basically an aircraft carrier. We call them a swoop deck. They basically have a little hump on the end of the runway that allows them to launch jet aircraft. They're not quite long enough, so there's a little bit of a tail on the end of it, kind of like on a skateboard. They actually now have done takeoffs and landing off of that. That's a picture of a J-15 jet fighter taken off of that aircraft carrier. And our own government said they'll not be ready for three years. It's already ready, it's already taking on planes, it's already taking off planes, and it will not be anywhere near the three years before they have them operational. Once they do that, the interesting thing with military technology is it goes very quickly. It's the R&D that takes forever. It's the research and development of these types of weapons that takes a long time. So what do you think happens when they get Russian technology or they steal American technology or as our wonderful President Bill Clinton did, sold them guided missile ballistic technology, ballistic missile technology. Now they have that technology. They are rising. Your Bible says they're going to get more powerful until the very last day. They're becoming extremely powerful. That's why Japan is worried about those silly islands that are at the, in the South China Sea. It's not so much that they're worth anything. They're piles of rocks or good fishing ground. But if this country decides that they want to deploy to those islands, all they got to do is put a carrier base or two out there, and now they have their Air Force stationed just 100 nautical miles from the southern end of Japan. Benjamin Netanyahu, talking about Iran's um, nuclear program, basically what he said, and this is from a speech about 46 days ago. 46 days ago, Benjamin Netanyahu said, and I quote, We will stop Iran in 2013. We have no choice. The line has been drawn. It cannot be crossed. And so when you think about that, obviously he's talking about Israel's ability to defend itself. We've already seen that it's going to join with a Russian consortium of nations in the last days and actually come against the nation Israel. And so Israel doesn't have any choice. People are saying, well, you know, they could just, you know, give up more land. They could give up more whatever. They could not give up anything because the land doesn't belong to them, according to Joel. It belongs to God. God gave it to them, and they are supposed to inhabit it from the time that they enter into that land. And they're in it. So Benjamin Netanyahu is correct. They're going to have no choice because to do nothing is to decide that that you're just willing to go down in a ball of flames, uh, Hamas, uh, it, unbelievable uh, that Israel is, is still at war. So this is from November 21st, uh, delivering this uh, statement. Um, it, it, Israel basically just is, is saying that we cannot wait any longer for anyone else to defend us. No one else in the world is willing to do that. We're going to have to do it for ourselves. And so he, he says that it, it's just Israel is at risk of war. Your Bible says that that's exactly what will happen. I can tell you that Israel has been preparing for war for almost three years now. They've been running virtually around the year drills in every one of the major branches of their military service. Amos chapter 9 says about Israel in the last days, and I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel. It be for a very short period of time. It's going to be when that battle of Ezekiel 38 occurs. They shall be waste cities and inhabit them. They'll plant vineyards and drink its wine. They shall make the gardens and eat of the fruit of them, and I will plant them upon their land. And they shall be, noticed this, no more pulled up out of their land, which I have given to them, says the Lord your God. So from God's perspective, he says, once I put them back in the land, nobody's uprooting them ever again. They'll have times of destruction. They'll be bombed. They'll be war. There'll be things that are going on. But they're never going to lose control of the land. And of course, the land is the issue uh, in the Middle East right now, which is monumentally insane when you think about the size of the Middle East and compare it to the size of that nation. Um, Hassan Nasrallah, uh, unbelievable, goes on, on Lebanon's national television uh, and says that Hamas's war against Israel was a, a monumental success. If you look at the satellite photos, of the bombing campaigns that Israel mounted, and they restrained themselves very heavily. Um, They have tremendous, they have the same technology that we have, basically. They have the smart bombs that we use. As a matter of fact, we sell them to them. They were very strategic and they were very surgical with their precision, but they leveled entire blocks uh, of the Gaza Strip because they had no choice. Uh, Hamas is launching rockets from schools, from hospitals, from daycare centers. uh, You you name it, they launch missiles from them. And so you have Lebanon's uh, supreme ayatollah basically saying, well, that was a victory. Victory speech, notice from God's perspective, Israel in the last days. This is actually the, the battle map, if you will. Uh, from May fifteenth, so this is one day after Israel is declared a nation. Okay, so they declare their independence uh, on on May fourteenth, of nineteen forty eight. The next day, all those red arrows are the nations that attacked them. The next day, this is this is crazy. This is after the UN debated uh, what would happen. Uh, the Egyptian attacks as they occurred, notice there, um, by the time the Egyptians launched their air force, those two lines in the bottom of the map there, Israel had shot down over 80% of Egypt's air force, 80%. And they did it in 11 hours. When you look at the northern border with Lebanon and Syria, uh, the Iraqis also attacked. The Jordanians attacked. I mean, you, you look at this. So you have the Syrians, the Jordanians, the Lebanese, and the Egyptians all attacking Israel from just about everywhere that you can imagine except for the Mediterranean and even some attacks from within. And somehow, not only does Israel survive, by the time it was all over, Israel had actually taken about a little over a 1,000 square miles of territory that they could have held that were outside of their own borders, and they did that in six days. Zechariah chapter two says, "And the Lord shall inherit du- inherit Judah his portion in the holy land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for He is raised up out of His holy habitation." From God's perspective, He is for Israel, and so when these nations rise, right, this should have been this should have been exactly the opposite result, and it just gives you an idea that God meant what He said at that time. Israel is working with tremendously overmatched in their technology. They were about ten to one in tanks. They were something like eleven or twelve to one in jet fighter aircraft. Uh, they didn't have enough ammunition to fight any more than about two weeks, and yet they win. And so Israel is is the focus again. It says in the last days in that passage in Second Timothy that iniquity will abound. It's insane to think that Scientology, and if you saw anything today, they've now announced that they have a UFO landing site. And so, you know, just in case the aliens come back, who would have ever thought in the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Tom Cruise would have a sanctuary? And yet, there it is in Jaffa, Israel. Um, you know, Tom's, Tom's, I guess, the Messiah. Jesus, not so much, according to those guys. Uh, And ungodliness will increase. Isaiah chapter 1 says, A sinful nation, a a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors that have forsaken God, have revoked the Holy One of Israel to anger, for they are gone away backward. That is our percentage of U.S. GDP to the world. So in 2001, we were about 33% or so of the entire world's gross domestic product. As we stand today, we're getting, we'll, next year we will actually, probably by 2014, we'll be below 20. So in a matter of about 12 years, we, we have dropped 11, 12 percentage points as, a, as the part of GDP. Why? Because we're not producing anything. We're just giving away other people's money. We're doing exactly what we did yesterday. We're borrowing against our grandchildren's future, if there is any. I'm saying, you know what? Well, somebody else will just, you know, will kick the proverbial can down the road. That is iniquity, folks. To strap somebody with debt that they did not create is wrong biblically. It's not just wrong morally; it's wrong biblically. Your Bible says very clearly that the man who does not work should not eat. That's what it says. So, if there's a problem with not having anything to eat, you might want to look at whether you're working for it or not. Morgan Stanley announced just a week and a half ago or so that we're probably looking at a major recession for 2013. Morgan Stanley is the world's largest brokerage house. Um, they have been accurate most of the time they make these types of predictions. Global economy, economy, they say is stuck in the twilight zone. Why? Because we just borrowed four more trillion dollars yesterday. We now sit at 20 trillion dollars from George Washington to George W Bush we had amassed 9 trillion dollars in debt in 4 years that has more than doubled that's insane from the revolutionary war to the end of the George Bush era of presidency we we have now added more than doubled our national debt and what have we gotten for it not a thing when our gov- we're on we're on qe quantitative easing for let me explain to you if you don't know what that is in economic terms that is we print money we don't have anything to back it with that's we just simply print it it's called quantitative easing we we just simply say we need another trillion dollars we don't have a trillion dollars but we'll print a trillion dollars we'll just give you a trillion dollars for the paper Try that with your checkbook. Go, find out what you got in your checkbook, and then just say, oh, but not really, I actually have a billion dollars. And go write about a billion dollars worth of checks and see how long it takes for the federal government to throw you in prison. Won't be, but about probably a week. Once those puppies start bouncing, ping, they're going to come after you. And yet that is exactly what our government did yesterday exactly what they did we don't have it we have no way to get it there is no place for it to come from we're already up to our eyeballs in 16 trillion dollars in debt and that by the way is not including all the things that we've promised to other people like myself like social security which it will not be very long before I would be able to collect that that's got to come from somewhere and we don't have it so we borrow it that is part this is this is staggering I looked these up. This is directly from the U.S. government website, by the way. You can go to just, just go to usgovernment.gov. Food stamps and the use of them, one in six Americans gets food stamps. One in six. 47.7 million Americans get food stamps. That's nuts. That's a spending problem. That's not an income problem. That's a spending problem. That means the whole country has lost its way. Luke chapter 11 says, But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom is divided against itself and is brought to desolation, and a house divided against itself cannot stand, or that house, it says in the Greek language, actually will fall. In other words, when, when you have a group over here that's being forced to pay for the group that's over here, and the group over here really doesn't want to do much, if anything. That house is divided. And I can prove this to you. It's really simple. And people often go, well, you know, it's not that. No, yet it is this simple. I'm going to come to your house, and you are going to give me all of your money because I want it. And once you write me that check, you can't get it back, by the way. So I can just take it from you. That's exactly the position that our federal government is in. They can demand that you can work as hard as you can possibly work and they can take it from you and then spend it on things that you not only don't agree with but you find morally reprehensible and against the word of God and you have to do it. Any other place in the world, that's called thievery. House divided. We're divided. Big time divided. And it can't stand. This will boggle your mind. I don't know how many of you saw this, but in North Carolina, a judge finds the choose-life plates unconstitutional. Now, bear in mind, they have recycling plates. Uh, they have a state bird or two plate. They have all kinds of plates that are basically, you know, who really cares? You know, I don't care if the mud snipe is their state, whatever it is, their state bird. You know, it's just so by the way, these plates are not free. You have to pay for them. They're actually a source of revenue for the state. And in fact, the people that bought them, bought them knowing that, that they were going to give some revenue to the state. And so because they happen to have a pro-life message on them, they were found to be unconstitutional. And yet you can, you can have plates that say all kinds of stuff. If you look at the number of customized plates you can get here in California, you can put just about anything you want on them. They'll kick it out if it's openly vulgar, but other than that, you can pretty much have some innuendo on there and it's totally fine. It's no big deal. Psalm 106 says, and yes, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to devil and shed the innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with the blood. How long is God going to wait around? we're telling god you know what ah we want to put everybody in debt and you know by the way we're going to just do with life as we choose god created life it's not ours to give away texas schools this is the dallas fort worth local area this is reported in the dallas morning news and texas schools are now being forced when they mention god to mention allah is equivalent or as god as well I don't know about you, but when Texas does something like that, I get really worried. Okay. That's why 2 Thessalonians says, Let no man deceive you by any means, and the end will not come unless there's a falling away first. Man, how far do we have to fall? You know, it's, getting, it's just crazy. You can't pray at a football game, but you have to. If you mention God, you have to also say in the same breath, Allah. You, you, you get where this is going? There's only, one, there's only one focus here. That's anything to do with the Lord is out, and anything to do with anything else is in. Uh, our wonderful president now says the recreational use of marijuana should not be a federal priority. It needs to be a federal priority. If you don't believe that, I challenge you to do a little bit of homework and find out how many lives have been wrecked from the recreational use of marijuana. I've had them in my office by the dozens I can tell you it's not just something, well, it's just recreation. No, it's mind-altering. It it destroys, it's now been estimated that the average person who uses marijuana recreationally will lose someplace between 6 and 12 IQ points over the course of five years. Now, I don't know about you, I can't afford to lose one IQ point, much less 6 or 12 of them. You know? Revelation 18 says, for by your sorceries, and that word is actually the, the Greek word, pharmakia. Nations were deceived. Yeah, the nations are deceived. This is just stupid. This is idiotic. It should be a huge priority, and we ought to say no. It's like we ought to say no to a lot of other things that we're not saying no to. U.S. national debt. Four years at a private college today stands at $130,468. $130,468 thousand bucks. Now let me translate that for you. If you happen to get standard government loans, which range between six about seven percent and nine point eight percent, if you borrowed that total amount, which many students do at your expense as a taxpayer, if they made two thousand eight hundred and fourteen dollars and twenty two cents a month on their first job they would be able to keep up with the interest if they were around nine percent. That's nuts. That's insane. Median price of a existing home is one hundred and seventy three thousand. It was two hundred and ninety five thousand just six years ago. So debt is up, value down. The recipe for disaster, U.S. debt per household. Everyone, if you're in here and you're under the age of 18, you are currently because, and this just went up, by the way, yesterday, because I computed this before yesterday. You're under 18 years old. You, when you're born, you are born with a debt of $218,676 here in America. That's a lot of cash. To give you an idea what that represents, 84.6% of the entire world does not make that in their lifetime. 88.64% of the entire world will not make that much money in their lifetime if they gave away 100% of their income. (laughs) President Obama is pushing for UN compliance to a new resolution to make homophobia the stating of anything other than good things about homosexual activity as a crime. That will likely pass this year, by the way. We now have, for the first time, something that will boggle your mind. I'll get this wrapped up here in just a moment. We got started just a hair late. But your Bible says that knowledge will be increased there in Daniel chapter 12, which we're going to get to in the very last days. September 23rd of this last year, U.S. scientists, human-animal trial of a controversial new in vitro fertilization treatment that uses male semen, female egg, and a monkey uterus actually proved to have a viable uh, fetus. We are now not just satisfied with playing God between humankind, but we're now trying to blend it and see if we can use Uh, a monkey or two in the process. These are things that God never intended, that he's not going to bless, and and that if we keep going down this path, I don't see why God isn't just going to simply go, no, not on my watch. These are things that are unheard of. I mean, I can't even imagine. And that, by the way, is a picture of an embryo that's actually been fertilized inside of a monkey uterus. You think all the stuff that's been going on in Newtown, Connecticut... This is a picture, an actual hand scanner picture. Uh, This happens to be uh, from a a system called Palm Secure. You can Google it if you want. It's already being used in several East Coast schools. Now get this. Your children, your girls, can go to that same school. They cannot take ibuprofen that you put in their pocket. They can go get an abortion without your knowledge. But they have to have their hands scanned in order to get lunch. This is what this just happened, by the way. And of course, it falls into that category of the things that would be the mark of the beast. Carroll County, Maryland, uh, Pinellas County in Florida. Um, basically, you'll be able to get condoms, go to get an abortion, do whatever you want. But you will have to have your hands scanned to go get lunch. That's nuts. And we can't just, you know, give our kids a couple of bucks and you know, do like I used to do, which is actually put it in a bag and take it. Lavish spending in the in the church. Orange County Register just just reported. Uh, you guys know these guys. It's uh yeah. That's the lovely Paul and Jan Crouch there and the the uh, head of TBN as I've shared with you before. Um, they are now fighting a bitter legal battle, which includes uh, some pretty amazing things: twelve million dollars in private jets, forty-seven point five million on mansions, and a hundred thousand dollar motorhomes so they can take their dogs with them when they travel. Now, to me, I'm thinking there were false prophets among the people in the last days, professing themselves to be godly and wise. Uh, but even as there will be false teachers among you who will bring secretly destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. If you look at what's happened in the last several years, the Lord's been taking down some of these false kingdoms. He's been saying, okay, enough's enough. This is just, this is, this is the end of the world right here. Coca-Cola produced in Greece went bankrupt. Coca-Cola has never, not ever, not once in its history ever had a subsidiary in any nation where it's ever gone go bankrupt. And yet now in Greece, Coca-Cola of Greece has finally gone bankrupt. That's uh, crazy. It's the things that are happening in the world. Uh, Eurozone unemployment hits a record high. You know why we're having the crisis in Europe right now? It's because people can't get jobs. It's worse than it is here. And so all setting up the stage for I believe the return of the Lord. Birth pangs pretty close together there, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. Keep your bags packed, uh, your ticket in your back pocket that says heaven. Uh, If you've got that, it's all going to be good. Be prayerful, be vigilant, be watchful. Uh, You know, as we point out these things, as, as you look at, Let me put it to you this way. We could have been here for a few days going over the stuff that's happened last year. I could have pulled up picture after picture after picture after picture and story after story. But the bottom line is, all it's telling me that there's so much of it is those birth pangs are about that close together. That Maranatha, the Lord comes. Amen. Let's focus on that. Let's see what we can do about taking a few extra folks to heaven with us whenever it happens. If it happens tonight, if it happens this week, next week, next month, next year, I, I'm not prophesying. I won't do that. But I know this. I've been studying this stuff for a long time. And I could probably in five minutes pull up enough data to, to go, oh, my goodness. Used to take you weeks to compile stuff from an entire year. Now it takes you a few minutes to figure out that the birth pangs are really close. May the Lord come for His church. In the meantime, may we be busy about our Father's business. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just tonight agree that you alone are worthy to punch that ticket. God, we're not trying to prophesy in a self-fulfilling way. We're just simply acknowledging that the world is doing exactly what you said it would do in the very last days. And it's doing it more than it ever has. It's doing it more frequently than it ever has. It's doing it with greater fervor and zeal than it ever has. The world is, in fact, a more perilous place. And so, God, as we see that, let not our hearts be troubled. Just as you told the disciples... It has to happen. May we be stimulated to love and to good works and to service for the King and for the kingdom. We bless you. We thank you. We praise you, and all God's people said, "Amen." Don't let your hearts be troubled. Amen. Go tell somebody about Jesus before He comes and gets us. That would be a really good thing.